this morning we, as, as you saw, we're continuing our series called The Star of Christmas. One of the most enduring symbols of Christmas is the Christmas star. Matthew chapter 2 verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And that image of a star that first guided the wise men to find baby Jesus still reminds us of Jesus even today. And that's where we get the background for this series. Now, in this series, we're not asking, um, you know, we're not going to be asking which star was the one that was used. We're not going to be asking when did the star appear. We're not going to be asking why was a star used instead of, you know, a rainbow or, or something else. What we're going to be asking the question is, Who's the star of Christmas? And now, uh, you know, the, the MVP, the most, most valuable player. Who's the main character? Now, I know since you're at church or you're watching online, you're watching a church service, I know you already know the answer, right? You're going to go, I mean, I, who, who's, who's he going to say? It's not a big surprise. We're not unveiling something that you don't expect. Jesus is the main character. Jesus is the star. Here's what might um, inform the way we celebrate the Christmas season, though. Why? Why is he the main character? Why is he the MVP? Why, why is he the real star of Christmas? And that's what we're talking about in this series. You know, um, the Christmas season is a, is a noisy time. There's a lot of flash, a lot of things, a lot of notifications popping up all the time trying to get you to buy something. There's a lot of uh, eye-popping price tags sometimes on things. And uh, in this noisy season, we see you know, a plethora of ways to celebrate with food and Christmas movies and, you know, the, the cultural expansion of the Christmas celebration just goes on and on and on and it really seems unlimited and it starts earlier every year. But sort of like these characters or decorations that we pull out once a year, they all have their own perspective. They all have their own way of looking at life and looking at Christmas but um, as we learned last week when Pastor Mark talked about Buddy the Elf, if you have the, the, his perspective was the wonder, the childlike wonder of Christmas. But if you have the magic of Christmas without the message of Christmas, it's like a cloud without rain. You have a lot of expectation, but in the end it only delivers a desert. And so this morning what we're going to be talking about is this little star known as the Grinch. This little green, scrawny character you saw on the screen who's grouchy but somehow in a weird way still lovable and we kind of laugh and like him and we kind of feel concerned about ourselves because we like him. You know, we like, I don't know, I don't know why I like that guy, but I kind of like that guy. Uh, if you know the backstory of Grinch, he suffered a deep rejection and he was sad and he was wounded. And so he left Whoville, where all the happy people lived, and he moved to what I call Lonely Mountain. And he resided in Lonely Mountain with his little reindeer who was a dog with antlers on it. Christmas was the opposite of sadness, so he learned to hate it. Here's how Dr. Seuss wrote it. He said, everyone who lived down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one inquired the reason. It could be his head wasn't put on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Unfortunately, 
there's part of most of us that can identify with Grinch or at least at some point in our life can identify with Grinch because every one of us on some level or another has experienced rejection and had a wounded heart. Some certainly have endured a lot more, more than, more than their fair share if that's even such a thing. Kind of like uh, most of us had feelings as a child somewhere where we're like, you know, I'm just going to scoop up my uh, teddy bear and you know, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to run away. And then that takes on an adulthood version as we get older in life where we discover that when a person hurts us or people hurt us who we trusted or, or who we thought wouldn't, we try to find a way to build a wall to push them away and sort of like Grinch, if we're not careful, we find ourselves moving to Lonely Mountain. Hurt surface at Christmas and sometimes Christmas that's supposed to evoke these feelings of joy, bring up memories, pain, loss, all kinds of things. And it can kind of be, if you're paying attention, it can kind of be a conflicting season because we don't always experience what we expect to experience. So I want to give you three reasons this morning that people uh, sometimes dread Christmas. All of us can have as we approach the Christmas season, anxiety can rise and kind of a sense of dread and a conflict between the expectation we have of how good it's going to be and then sort of the dread of what could go wrong. So here's one. Stress rises. Uh, according to the American Psychological Association, 40% of Americans say that Christmas time is a time of huge personal stress. By the way, the highest time of the entire year. Consumerism and overstretched time and overstretched money and buying all the gifts and the celebration preparation and, all, and extra work. The second reason that we dread Christmas is sometimes brokenness magnifies. Family gatherings can sort of turn into tribal wars. You know, we can have these uh, get crossways or have family members that we haven't seen in a long time and then we see them and all these old feelings come back up and relational stress and conflict and divorced families try to figure out how to share kids and step families and blended families try to figure out how to make it all feel normal. Budget limits we face. How are we going to pay for everything? And then January, the debt comes to see us of the things that we spend in December. And uh, if you're not careful, the easiest thing to do is just to pack up and move to Lonely Mountain. Try to avoid it all. Try to get out, get out of it. Pressure snowballs, stress, anxiety. Let's don't even start to talk about the mental health realities that we're facing. And I, I, I know if you've been around Kingwood for a while, you're probably tired of hearing me say it, but I'm going to keep saying it because I've been through it in my life in many, many different ways and times. We're still in a pandemic, and that pandemic still has affected the mental, emotional, relational, and physical health of most of the people that we know. And we can sort of try to move to Lonely Mountain and pretend that we're separated and unaffected, but we're not unaffected. We're all affected in some way or another. And so um, it's no surprise that this time of year, Substance abuse rises because people are trying to get away. Another reason we dread Christmas is painful memories return. Have you noticed that tragedy doesn't take Christmas off? I wish it would. I wish tragedies would just pause. 
I wish everything would just close and shut and every bad thing that could happen would stop and only good things that could happen would happen. But you've probably lived long enough to realize that's not really true, is it? Sickness doesn't stop and accidents don't stop and funerals don't stop and divorces don't stop. A few years ago, I uh, met a, a mother of seven children who told me that her 40-year-old husband, who'd never been sick a day in his life, this was before COVID, this was five or six years ago, had an upper respiratory infection, and he, since he had never been sick, he just kept putting it off. He think it's not that bad, it's not that bad, and it kept getting worse, and finally he went to the hospital, he went to the ER to Shelby, and they admitted him, and uh, they said they did everything they could do, but they said it was too late. The infection had set in too deeply, they couldn't save him. He died on Christmas Eve. And I, I met her for the first time with seven kids and lost her 40-year-old husband. And can you imagine how that family must feel every year when you get close to Christmas? Brings back those memories. If, you, if you've lost someone or um, if you've had a tragedy during Christmas, that loss or absence of a loved one can bring sort of a dread of the season this is the first Christmas of my life that I won't have my mom to call and celebrate with. In two weeks, it's her birthday. It would have been her birthday had she lived. And this is the first time in my life I won't be able to call her on her birthday and say, Hey, I, happy birthday. We used to have this goofy birthday song that we put it on speakerphone, you know, and we all sing to the top of our lungs in the car. And she'd say, Oh. I'm so glad you called, except she won't be there. And so there's a lot of reasons, you know, that we sometimes dread or feel anxiety as we enter the Christmas season. If you suffered some kind of tragedy during the holidays, sometimes you relive that as those smells and sights and those familiar things come back. And then you look and you see people around you who just seem to be having the time of their life you know, enjoying everything about the Christmas season. You know, it's a, like a Hallmark uh, movie. You know, everything's going, going well, like a Hallmark commercial. Everything's going well in life. And for some of us, the best answer just seems to be, let's just pack up and move to Lonely Mountain. I wish emotions were predictable. And I wish emotions were logical. And I wish they only behaved the way that would be the best way for them to behave, but how many of you know they don't? Emotions tend to curl up into a nest like uh, conflicting and confusing impulses. It's kind of like a um, you know, 300-car pileup. You just see this big pile, and you go, I don't even know which car caused this. It's just a big mess. It's just a big wreck. And that's how emotions do sometimes. It's just a mess. And even though deep down inside when we go through those moments of frustration or dread or concern or pain or wound, we, we don't, most of us don't believe God caused it. I'm not saying nobody's ever believed that, but most of us don't believe that. But we do sometimes say, but he, he allowed it. Like he could have stopped it, couldn't he? Isn't he all powerful after all? And when you hurt and when your emotions pile up like a car wreck and you just feel all these things, sometimes you can begin to say, couldn't God have stopped it if he wanted to? 
And then if you're not careful what that emotion, the road that emotion takes you down is, now you begin to feel not only wounded by life, but rejected by God. I mean, if I were God, I would have stopped it. Why didn't God stop it? Think about that phrase for a minute. Rejected by God. That's heavy. I don't know who you could be rejected by that would be more painful than by God. But that's what our emotions tell us sometimes. And joy to the world and peace on earth just seems like a fake dream. If you're struggling this Christmas, or you know someone who is, how do we deal with these car-piled-up emotions that intertwine and aren't logical or reasonable and just they start to tell us things that are harmful to our spirit and they're harmful to our mind and they're harmful to our emotions they're harmful to our relationship and and the enemy just loves to to commandeer those emotions and lead us into believing things that are destructive what do we do how do we get the Grinch out How do we keep this heart from getting smaller and smaller? Let me suggest just two things, okay? And if you you might want to write these down, uh, but you only have to write them down if you want to go to heaven. Other than that, it's fine. You don't have to take notes of any kind. Number one, remember who you are in Jesus. Let's talk about this for a minute, okay? I um, I would be shocked, and you would be shocked, if we were somehow able to hear all of the wounds and the pain that are represented in this room, and for those of you watching online, people in their living room, in their car, and at their office, maybe even you know exercising and listening to this later, if we could somehow reach into each heart and pull out all the things that had happened, we'd, we'd be shocked. We'd be shocked. Divorce, adultery, and sexual abuse, violence, emotional abuse, manipulation, abandonment. Some of you were told as children you were worthless. Manipulated and neglected, cheated, lied about, backstabbed, pains, wounds, suffering, anxiety, stress, fear. Here comes the car pile up again and they just build up on us till we believe these un. Uh, helpful things, these harmful things. Life is unfair. No, life's not unfair because some people have a good life. My life's unfair. No, no, my life's not unfair. God's unfair. And he's picking on me and he's rejected me. But here's what you have to know when I say, remember who you are in Jesus. When we endure these things in life, these painful things, it, it impacts our perception of ourself and we tend to begin to take on the identity of what's happened to us or what someone said to us like you're worthless or you'll never amount to anything or or get out of the way or rejection we take on that as an identity and then we begin to live out of that identity and what I mean when I say remember who you are in Jesus what I'm talking about is your identity What I'm talking about is fundamentally who are you and who did God make you to be and who does God say that you are. And this is critical. 
It's absolutely critical. You are not the sum total of what's been done to you. You are not the sum total of what's been said about you. You are not the sum total of the dumb things you've done. You're more than that. God never rejected you. Doesn't matter what your feelings say. Doesn't matter what your emotions say. And boy, they'll say everything. God's never rejected you. In fact, God suffered the greatest rejection the world's ever known so that you could be accepted. Isn't that right? Isaiah 53, 3 says, he was despised. Listen, listen, let let those words ring in your soul today. Remember how the pain felt of what you've endured and magnified that times a million. He He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Look at verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. With his wounds, we are healed. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. I know that most of you already knew Whether you believed it or not, you knew what I was going to say. The real star of Christmas is Jesus. But why? It's not Buddy the Elf. It's not Grinch. It's Jesus, and here's why. He was wounded so that our wounds could be healed. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. Remember who you are And Jesus, no matter how lonely, no matter how painful, no matter how many memories reemerge, no how many tragedies that you've endured in your life or at previously at Christmas time, when those feelings creep in, you push back and you say, "That is not who I am. I am a son. I am a daughter of the living God, and I will overcome just as He overcame, because He overcame." You may have been victimized, but that doesn't make you a victim. You may have been rejected, but that doesn't make you a throwaway. You may have been abused, but that doesn't make you worthless. You are are God's cherished, valuable, invaluable, and loved son or daughter of God. You are accepted and healed and welcomed and received and empowered and equipped and prepared. Now, if you'll receive that down in your soul, (laughs) you don't have to go to Lonely Mountain. You've got everything you need that's already been put inside of you as a child of God. If you can ever get your identity, who you are in Jesus, down deep in your soul, and I mean really convince yourself, Let me give you a, this is just a really practical example, okay? When I was a a young youth pastor, I'd only been a youth pastor a short time. Uh, The the church I was at was close to a large public high school, and I was going over to the high school 
to eat lunch with some of the kids. There, were, there was a big school, so they would turn lunches over, and I would just stay through all the lunches and try to find some of my teenagers and hang out with them. And I wasn't too much older than the, you know, the, the kids in high school themselves. And I remember I'd been a few dozen times, and I don't know why this one day I went to grab the door to the gym to go into the school, and when I, when I grabbed the door, this bolt just shot through my body, and I went, I, I, I just a blinding moment of insecurity, and I thought, what am I going to do if I get in there, you know, how many of you know teenagers can be? Come, where are the teenagers? You should, your hand should be up. I can't tell you how many people have been relieved once they finally got out of high school and said, you know, people aren't as mean as I thought. You know, it's, it's tough in there. It's, you know, a couple of notches above a prison. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's rough, you know. And I had that feeling. I thought, what if I get in there and, you know, I'm rejected, or you know, they they make fun, or they don't want to talk to me, or whatever. And I remember stopping right there. I'll just give you a practical example. If no, if no one else in the room, if no one else online is helped by this, every teenager should be helped by this. I stopped and I said, "Wait a minute. Why do I care? I have been accepted by the greatest person that could ever accept me." Matter of fact, I'm so thoroughly accepted by God today that, it, that you can't reject me enough to shake his acceptance off. You can't get it off. It doesn't matter. So I kind of stopped and reminded myself who I was in Jesus, and I went, I'm okay. Go ahead. Let it rip. Do what you do. I don't care. Because when I go home, when I leave, I'm resting in the arms of Jesus. Now listen. Listen. Some of you might have spouses that aren't very nice. And you might have to stop sometime and say, your rejection does not define me. I'm accepted by Jesus. Your parents might not be the nicest people. Your employer might not be the nicest person. There might be somebody in your life that isn't the nicest person that you're kind of you know, stuck with. And what you're going to have to do is keep medicating your soul and saying, wait a minute, I don't have to have your acceptance to be a whole person. I'm a whole person because I got Jesus' acceptance, and there's no amount of rejection that you can ever give me that's going to overcome that. But you've got to keep applying it. And you've got to keep walking in it. Now, you might be here this morning or watching online and say, what do you mean, remember who I am in Jesus? I'm not even close to Jesus that I know of well you can be and I'm just praying with all my heart before this service is over that you will be and we'll talk about that again in a minute so here's the second one live like who you are in Jesus so here's really the Christian life in a nutshell if you can get down as deeply inside as you can, your identity is a son or daughter of God. And then you can live that out. You can release that identity out as much as you can. That's the Christian life. That's the, 
whole Christian life that you believe, you're convinced of, of your new identity in Jesus and so much so that you're walking it out and living it out and speaking it out and acting it out. Let me, let me make it real practical. You can choose to be kind. You know, nice. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Remember the little Grinch story, this little girl named Cindy Lou. Remember Cindy Lou? She, even though the Grinch stole all of Hoosville's presents, she still reached out to him in kindness and included him. And somehow that grew his heart two sizes. Because kindness and her generosity and her compassion grew his heart. One brave, compassionate little girl looked past his wounds and his pain and his hurt and his rejection. And what a difference we can make. What a difference we can make. I, this past week, I was, uh, after our 20s life service, I was eating dinner with a bunch of the 20s. And one of the people I sat beside who has worked as a waiter told me a story that broke my heart. He said when he lived in another city, he worked at a restaurant, and there was a waitress there that he worked with who was a hardened atheist. And he said he had, he had shared with her and prayed for her and talked to her for months. And it looked as though that her heart was starting to thaw out. She was beginning to be open and had even mentioned that she would like to come to church with him one day. And then one, one Sunday... A group of uh, church folks came in to eat and they took time with her and talked to her and you know shared with her and then when they left there's a, a big group she waited on they left they left no tip they left nothing and she took that ticket off the table and she took it to my friend and she held it up to him and she said if this is the kind of God that you've been talking to me about, I'm out. I'm out. It's pretty heavy. And he said she never, she never opened again as long as he knew her. It wasn't forever, but she never opened again. That Now, you might say, and I might say, boy, that's unfair, you know. Don't judge every person that goes to church by that group. And maybe don't even judge that group by that one action. How many of you would really like to not be judged by one action? Because <laughs> if it was the right one, you know, it'd be not good. But what I think the world is dying from, I don't think we have a lack of Christianity. I don't think we have a lack of Christians. I don't think we have a lack of churches. I think we have a, a lack of authentic Christianity. Real, the real, it's a real thing. 
we're, we're dying of an authentic expression of Christianity that moves in kindness and moves in generosity and moves in forgiveness and love and grace and honesty and listen to this and humanity not perfection not perfection if you're not careful what the enemy will do is he'll take that story and say see you have to be perfect all the time or you're going to ruin it and that is condemnation and it is guilt and it is legalism and it is wrong I guarantee you there's somebody some people roaming around Shelby County that if you could find them I'm sure they saw me heard me say something do something in a moment somewhere that if you judge my entire life by that one thing you'd say I don't know if he's a real Christian and that's probably true for you too we're not trying to be perfect but when you become aware that you've not lived out the identity of Jesus you don't have to pretend you don't have to do a cover-up just own it just own it and say man I'm sorry I was a bad thing to do and it was a bad time and it was a bad day and I wasn't whatever and would you forget I think that expression would go much further than I never make mistakes and you misunderstood me and and trying to create some kind of false persona that you and I can't live up we're not Jesus we have the identity of Jesus but we're not him we can't be perfect but boy we can be authentic I believe God is calling you to minister to someone in this community in your community this Christmas season and what I'm just saying is, is if you reach out in an act of authentic kindness and true, genuine expression of concern and love for another person, I just wonder if it might grow their heart two sizes. It might do something. It might plant a seed. It might water a seed. We're, we're having the whole service on the 19th so we can invite people. But look, that's just... That's just a way we can partner with you and the work of the Holy Spirit in our community. That's one thing. It's not the only thing. It's just an opportunity. But I bet there's going to be so many more opportunities if we'll just watch. So you don't really have to dread Christmas. You just have to know who you are in Jesus. And you have to live.
to mend and repair and recover and return into your kingdom of heaven. We open our hearts to receive in Jesus' name. Come on, we're singing about the true king of Christmas. to the
Yes, you are. Come on and just celebrate yeah. this morning. Come on. Come on and just celebrate this morning. The real star of Christmas. The true star of Christmas. Come on and celebrate it. Would, would you just close your eyes for a moment and open your heart? Our prayer team's coming. You know, this morning we were talking about um, those wounds or memories, those losses, those things that just seem to float back to the surface at times like these. And this morning I want to give you an opportunity to pray. When, when we meet other believers in prayer, God meets us in powerful ways. And so what I want to ask you to do right now, if your heart is heavy this morning and you know you're facing circumstances or memories or loss or there's just a gap there for you, I want you to come right now and let our prayer team pray for you. Maybe today you said, you know, I was one of the ones who said, I'm not even sure that I'm really even close to Jesus. And with every eye closed in the room, maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you today and saying, today's your day. Today is the day for you to come close to Jesus. For you to know that you know when you leave this room, you know that you know that you're walking with Him. With every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity, if that's you, and you say, today, I, I want to start a real relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you've been walking pretty far away, and you say, you know what? I want to come back. Today's the day I want to come back. Would you just lift your hand if either one of those is you? And I want to pray for you. And we want to ask God to wash your sins away, to set you in right relationship to give you a new start and a new beginning. Would you just lift your hand so I can see it and we'll pray for you, okay? Just lift your hand anywhere, anywhere in the room. We want to pray for you, okay? Yep, I saw your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. Lift your hand. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to begin to pray. And as I do, if you need prayer, I want you to come. I want you to come right now. If you want to recommit to Christ, if your heart is hurting, if this Christmas season is a difficult time for you, I want you to come right now. Lord Jesus, we ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would minister. You would minister to hearts and to needs. Lord, that you would lift burdens, that you would change circumstances. Lord, that you would allow that car pileup of emotions to be straightened out. Lord, we pray that you would minister grace and peace, strength today, God, that you would heal the broken heart, you would lift up the wounded. If you need prayer, I want you to come right now.